Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. I, uh, I was pondering questions I get asked. I get asked a lot of questions, as you can imagine, especially by younger guys. They like to ask me questions that uh, some of the older guys don't care about anymore. So, But one of them I get asked a lot is, how did you succeed in business? And, uh, and uh, I think what a lot of guys are hoping to hear is a real simple recipe that can be easily replicated. You know, because today you look at younger guys and it's just write some code, get it halfway doing something close to what it should be don't get any real sales don't generate any profit and then you get paid millions of dollars and they call that a business right and i'm like wow i didn't do that so if that's what i think i'm going to tell you i I didn't do that (laughs) mine wasn't that way what mine looked like was getting up at four every morning and reading and praying going to work for 10 hours coming home to be home by five every single day to be with my family. One vacation a year, it was never two weeks, um, and handling problems every single day while on vacation. Uh, Investing in leaders at work every year to teach them how to plan and repair what they broke. Uh, Owning decisions constantly every day, owning them, feeling like they were mine to own, not passing them off to someone else and finding ways to survive difficult market shifts training employees joyfully to fix what we all would break together uh, and then watch them leave, Uh, do physical exercise every day as much as I possibly could so I could handle the stress, be in Bible study with men and going to church every week, hiring, training, and promoting people and staying committed to them even when they failed, and then bringing Jesus to work through prayer, giving, and coaching and in the end, trusting Jesus every day with the results, knowing they weren't mine. That was what I did, and that's how I disciplined myself to succeed in business. So Jesus did the same thing when he came to earth. He succeeded in a certain way, and it wasn't just to die for our sins. It was to model for us a lifestyle that helped us stay in communion with God and to live an abundant life. He modeled that. He wanted us to see what that looked like. And it looked very different than what people think religion often looked like. Jesus told his disciples to follow him. And he didn't mean for a day. He meant for three years. Then they learned to be yoked to him like an ox. ox, You know, that's yoked to another ox, the lead ox. And so they yoked to him and they learned what that meant. They learned to find solitude. They learned to fast. They learned to pray. They learned to live with less money. They slept in simple settings and they learned to worship in spirit. These disciplines are what produced the results that they showed, which was healing, loving their enemies, preaching bold sermons, and finding joy in prisons. Athletes, musicians, and artists know that great performances don't happen spontaneously. They come from countless hours of practice and training. That's where they come from. uh, Disciplined behaviors repeated through thousands of times over and over and over generate great moments of triumph. And the Christian life that's abundant and joyful is lived by being yoked to Jesus, following his daily routines, spending countless hours doing what he did. 
and after some long periods of time realizing that you're actually changing. The routines of a Christian slowly transform us into kingdom men. They take time. You know, that initial exuberance of being saved, it fades. It does fade. The adrenaline-driven emotions diminish, and then we start to fear that maybe we're not saved. Yet, years after living as Jesus did, 30 years before his public ministry, our bodies start to respond to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in control, you guys, and, he, and the needs of the body are under his submission. God made us both physical and spiritual. This is a key part of this whole thought. We're made both physical and spiritual. Yet for most, the physical leads and gets all the attention. God designed our physical self to be led by the Holy Spirit, not the other way around. The physical is supposed to respond to the Holy Spirit, not the, the Holy Spirit responding to the physical. It takes years of training to get that order right. So don't be discouraged if you're still being overcome by your physical. Recognize you need to train, not harder, but more intentionally, with patience and tenacity for the long haul. And guys, I hope you know, this is one of the places where Christian men in particular get discouraged, is when other guys come around them and brag about their spiritual discipline and how, and how awesome they are at it. It really discourages guys. And so when you do that, you're not really helping a brother, honestly. You're just discouraging him. And so be careful in that space because it really is a place where we all feel a, a little bit just underperforming. We all do. We feel like we're not at our best, you know. So it's a place you really want to be careful as you start to explore this with guys and just be kind and be sensitive to where somebody else is asking questions to make sure you understand where they are before you start to really help explain how these things might help them. It's a sensitive area. So what do you struggle with to do as a Christian? What do you struggle with that you do, that you really want to do better at? And I could tell you, one of the things for me when I was a young Christian that I wanted to fix so badly was not saying what I thought right when I thought it. I, I'm just, I mean, I still struggle with that. Like I, it pops to my head and then it pops out of my mouth. And man, I can't tell you how many times that got me in trouble. And I grew up in an Italian family, and that's just how meals were. If it, it entered here, it exited as fast as it came in, and there was no filter. And that just as a Christian was really rough on me. So tonight, you guys, we're going to explore a few of the many spiritual disciplines most of us should consider practicing to help our heart and minds learn to submit to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk about solitude and silence, and fasting, and prayer, suffering, frugality, Bible study, and worship. I can't spend a lot of time on those. I'm going to touch on each, but they're all really valuable spiritual disciplines, and they're not all of them, and they're all of them aren't going to work for you. You can't do all of these things. You got to pick the things that you think will help you, and just work on a few at a time, because if you try to do everything, you won't do anything. And if you want a more in-depth study, read Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. I've been in this book for probably two months now, and I keep going backwards. So I'll read a chapter, and then I go back and read it again. And then I read two more chapters, and I go back and read the first ones. So it's that kind of a read. So if you're a guy that has to go from the beginning to end, and you got to get it done in an hour, this isn't the book for you. Um, it just doesn't work that way for me, and, I've, I, and, I, and I'm not a great reader. But I'm a decent reader, so this one just kind of is that way. But it's a really good explanation of all these topics. So let me open us with prayer, and we'll listen to some of God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for teaching us the way you live, Jesus. Because if we live the way you live, 
it's probably better. And we're probably going to be closer to you, our Father and the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Lead us tonight, Lord. Father, and I pray desperately that I not get in the way of anybody. Lord, help me not stumble or make a bad uh, uh, use of language or, or connect things in the wrong way. Uh, cover up for me, Lord. Holy Spirit, transform me. Transform my word so guys hear what you want them to hear, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So in Matthew 4, I think it's truly probably one of the most remarkable pictures of Jesus in the, in the Bible. We see him led by the Holy Spirit right after his baptism. The, the Spirit descends upon him and he's led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights. And so I think the first thing I noticed in that was the Holy Spirit led him. And so if the Holy Spirit leads you to solitude, it's probably good. You know, that's where God works on us. When we are led by the Holy Spirit to somewhere, that means that place he's leading you is going to have purpose. There's a meaning behind it. And the Holy Spirit does that. He draws us to God. And when he goes to a place where we're in solitude and you feel him leading to, that's a good place. Now, isolation, on the other hand, is a different experience. Isolation is being alone apart from God. And oftentimes it's sort of involuntary and you sort of end up there. It's not really where you want to be. You just sort of find yourself by yourself. And it's a bad place. It's a place where you're not really in control and there's no leading by the Holy Spirit and your heart's really getting messed up and you're being led to the wrong things because you didn't really design that moment to be there and God didn't draw you there, right? And so Jesus found himself in solitude and he was happy there. And you see it numerous times in the scripture, many, many times he would find himself in solitude so that he could be silent and he wouldn't have to hear the world in his head. His mind got to be free from all the unholy thoughts that he had to hear. His mind was getting polluted by the world and he didn't want that. He needed to be away from it. Think about it. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth. In Philippians 2, he describes it. He left the throne to come down here to be by God or to be away from God and to be with man. And he gave up so much. And part of that was having to listen to this this pain of the world and the, and the language and the courses. Can you imagine Jesus sitting in your living room and hearing what he's hearing in the media and on TV, right? And just break his heart. And then what comes out of your mouth after you see it? And he's like, man, you're one of my, oh my gosh. It just had to be brutal for him. I had a similar experience when I landed in uh, Kathmandu, Nepal. Uh, and I was excited to go there. We had hired a young man to work there and we started trying to build small businesses there to bring Christ through the business place. And um, I, I, my first steps into Kathmandu, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, I, I honestly had never seen anything so, 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 so like that. It was, it, was, it was so bad, overwhelming bad. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't. There was a river that was a river of trash. I, I mean, it was just, it was overwhelming so bad. And I had already spent about five years in Africa and Kathmandu was way worse. And, I, and, and in that moment, I distinctly remember thinking, this is what it was like when Jesus came to earth and he stood among us and went, wow, this is way worse than I thought it was. This is really in bad place. So Jesus needed solitude so he could get a clear channel to communicate with his father. He needed a clean pathway for that to happen. He fasted 40 days. He kept his stomach from controlling him. His stomach had too big of a power on him. He knew it. He was God. So if Jesus is going, food's got too much control over me. Can you think of that? I mean, he's God and he's going, no, 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 no. Food shouldn't be controlling me like this. This is crazy. I know I'm hungry, but it shouldn't have this kind of impact on me. And it did. So he didn't let it go. He's like, no, I'm not going to have food. It shouldn't be controlling my mind like this. I know the father. 
I know what it feels like to be with the Father, and this is overwhelming. It's pulling me away. So he let his food stop doing that to him. You know, most of us men love food. We love it, man. We love food. And it has a lot of control over us. Too much. It's too much, you guys. It shouldn't have that kind of control over us. Jesus models how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and how to gain power and wisdom. And he does that by going into solitude, taking away all the noise so he has silence so he can hear and he pushes food away so that his stomach's not distracting him right so this is how he gained power and wisdom and then you see it worked you see it worked and most people go oh wow the devil got him at his weakest i contend the devil got him at his strongest he's been in training he's fully ready and the devil tackles him then the devil took a butt whooping right he's like you're gonna take me on now i just spent 40 days with the father I'm as strong as I'm ever going to be, man. Let's go bring it on. And it's like, so you're going to use the word of God on me now? You're going to try to use the word of God and tell me that, okay, I, I, no problem. This is going to be the easiest fight I got. It took him three punches and the devil was out, right? Three punches and the devil's gone. That's how easy it was because he had been in training, right? He defeated the devil with the word of God. When our physical is weak, our spiritual is strong. And that's what God wants. By eliminating voices and food, we depend solely on God. We've got to have the word of God, though, in that situation because the devil will be there. You've got to have the word of God. If you go into solitude, you've got to go there and you've got to plan it. And the word of God's got to be with you because the devil's going to try to talk to you. And you've got to know his voice and you've got to fight him. So you've got to go in that with the word of God. So you've got the sword of God to fight that, right? So regular time away from people, technology, phones, and food is really good for us, you guys. It's really really good and you need to eliminate this dependence on those physical things so that you can be fed spiritually right it's a spiritual feeding the holy spirit and the word of god are what feeds you in that time you quiet the body you get still in front of an almighty god first kings 19 says that god instructed elijah to go stand on a mountain and he had just fought a battle and won it was a big battle he kicked some tail he did really good but he was scared to death so he's running god says go stand on a mountain God sends a wind, an earthquake, and a fire, and God's not in any of that. And he had told Elijah, I'm going to come. You're going to see my presence. You're going to watch me pass you by. And he wasn't in any of those. And then Elijah heard a whisper, and he knew that was God. Guys, God speaks in whispers. And if there's all this noise in your life, you'll never hear it. You just can't hear it with all the noise going on in your life. Some of you guys have people that really, put, you put a lot of weight into what they tell you. You really depend on them. And I would highly recommend you not do that. You should depend on the word of God, not your brother sitting next to you that thinks he knows everything, right? Be careful with that. God speaks in whispers. When your friend's voice is in your head and it's loud, that's not God. God's quiet. Solitude, silence, and fasting amplify the whisper. Do you need to refrain from saying everything that pops in your head? I did. I can tell you this. If you practice solitude and silence, You'll start to keep your mouth shut. It works. I can tell you that I've never spent more time alone than I have in the last two years. Never in my life. I probably spend two, three, four hours alone every single day. And it's been going on for multiple years for me right now. And I have, because I've spent so much time with God, I've learned to shut my mouth now. He's helped me learn to shut my mouth. And silence will help you shut your mouth. You can actually hear God speak right before you say something. I, numerous times in the last week, I was ready to make a stupid comment, and I'm loaded with them. 
And, and I literally paused. I literally stopped. And each time it happened to me, I was like, I'm glad I didn't say that. And I stopped and said, thank you. I mean, I just almost started crying every time it happened. I was like, he, he stopped me. He stopped me. And then he reminded me, it's because you've been quiet, Bill. You've been quiet. So you've learned what it means to be quiet. And you don't need to talk all the time. And so it's one way. If you're a guy that says too many things that you shouldn't say and you want to stop the, the flow from your head to your mouth and put a filter in, spend time in solitude and silence and you'll stop doing that. How will you start to include solitude, silence, and fasting in your spiritual life? How can you do that? Matthew 26, 39 says this, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus fell with his face on the ground to pray to God, begging for relief. If Jesus prayed, then I certainly need to pray. The last time I was flat on my face, I almost lost Taylor. He wasn't born yet. He was at 23 weeks. My wife was pregnant and the doctor said, if your baby's born tonight, he'll die. And I went home and I laid on my face for the first time in my life. And I wept and I cried out to God and I begged him with every ounce of my soul and said, please don't take him, Lord. Prayer is a time when we get to speak, when we get to cry and we get to yell and we get to laugh and we get to thank. Prayer is your time for that. So when somebody says prayer is a time for you to be still and know he's God, I disagree. Prayer is a time when you get to speak and God wants to hear it. And maybe you ought to be a little more honest with what's in your heart because he already knows what's there. Maybe he just wants you to hear what you're, what's in your own heart. Be honest with him, pour it out, scream it out. God is ready to hear. Jesus said, when you pray, start by recognizing God. If you look at the Psalms, they're David's heart filled with his words and they're just pouring his heart out to God. It's the time when you get to speak, speak up. Jesus said, when you pray, start by recognizing God. That's where you say, God, I know who you are. And you can also say, but I'm mad. I'm hurting. Why? Stop doing this to me. You can do that. And he wants you to cry out to him. It's the time. It makes it clear what you need, what you have, what's on your heart. He wants to hear all of you. And Paul tells us you can also thank him during that time. After you pour out your heart, you can say, oh, my gosh. I guess I thank you, Lord. I see all the things you've done for me. And everybody says, well, you should do it in this order. And Jesus said, do it in this order. But do you really think Jesus meant that's the only way to pray? Honestly, do you really believe that? Because go read David's Psalms. Not, they don't read like that all the time. They're not the same structure. You don't have to pray that way every time, guys. Honestly, you don't. It's good to praise God. It's good to thank God. It's good to pour out your petitions. It's good to forgive. It's good to have some structure. But sometimes, quite frankly, you just got to cry. You got to yell. You got to voice what you're feeling. And God can take it. He can handle it. He knows that. So pour it out to him, guys. Jesus was a man. So treat him like one and talk to him like one. That's why he came that way. Express yourself fully. And when you're ready to listen... Open your Bible and now shut your mouth. Open your Bible and shut your mouth. It's now your turn to listen because these are God's words. 
And when you want your prayers answered, he talks through the book. So you read and then you shut up and stop praying and stop asking and start listening because you've prayed. He heard you. He knows what you need. And now you need to listen. But God's word is the way he speaks. This is when he talks back to you and he will talk back to you. Be still in front of Jesus. He is the word. Let him speak. And that's what it says. Be still and know it is God. When you're in front of the book, be still and know this is God. What inhibits your prayer life right now? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from God in your prayer life? In Acts chapter 5, 41 through 42, we read these words. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering. Disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Did you catch that? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering. And what did they keep doing? Exactly what caused the suffering. Day after day after they kept going back and doing it again and again and again. The disciples knew they would suffer for speaking the name of Jesus. They knew it. They chose to do it anyway. Through this suffering, they would be drawn to Jesus. We seek comfort and avoid suffering. They so sought suffering and avoided comfort. We avoid conversations about Jesus knowing they bring discomfort. We then drift away from Jesus because we just don't need him anymore. In my family, I avoid the topic because my mom and my brothers get mad when I bring up the name of Jesus and they get really mad at me. And they tell me to shut up. They tell me to leave them alone. They don't want to hear it. And it hurts. And you know what I do? I back down. And so I don't talk about it. Suffering in the conflict draws us closer to Jesus. That's what he tells us. He says, don't stop speaking my name. Don't avoid the conflict. And you will suffer. And you're going to get yelled at. And people aren't going to like you. But he's saying, please keep doing that. That suffering is going to be good because you're going to draw close to me when that hurts. And when you feel put down and when you feel beat up, you're going to draw to me. You're going to come to me. And I love that moment with you. That's the moment when I get close to you and you feel close to me. That is why it's called a discipline. Suffering is considered a discipline because it draws you closer to him. And when you practice preaching his name, you suffer and you draw closer to him. We need him in those moments. He speaks for us. He does. When you speak the name of Jesus, you feel him speak on your behalf. It's one of the few times you'll really feel yourself not speaking your own words, but the words of the, of the Father. And you'll be like, I can't believe those words came out of me. They were unbelievable. He speaks for you in those times, and that's how you feel him. And you feel his presence, and it's very unique. Don't stop speaking. When are you avoiding the name of Jesus to minimize conflict and to keep yourself comfortable? In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, we see some powerful words. Paul's talking to young Timothy, young Timothy, and Paul's teaching him, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul isn't telling Timothy money's bad. He never said that. He makes it clear the desire to be rich is the problem. God gives some Christians a lot of money and thank God for that. Many schools, churches like this, and hospitals have come from those very people. Many missionaries are being supported by those good people. Paul is recommending frugality, and it's very different. Spending much less than we can on ourselves is what he's telling us. Frugality protects us from having an emotional desire for money. It stops connecting emotional comfort or self-worth to the money. Giving it away and spending less keeps us from trusting in the money. When wealth gets separated from our mission, it becomes extremely destructive. But when wealth is connected to our mission, it becomes transformational. Giving is a great remedy for staying detached from money. But it also must be coupled with spending less on yourself. And this is the essence of frugality. Because you can give a lot of money away and you can become incredibly prideful that you gave a lot of money away. That's not the point. Frugality, on the other hand, is I'm going to live well below what I have, have to live off of because I don't need to live on any more and it frees me up to give more away. And that's a good thing. And that's way harder to do than just giving a lot of money away and still spending a ton on yourself. And that's what Paul's talking about. So that's what frugality is, you guys. And that's why it's one of the core disciplines. What can you not buy this week? And who can you bless with that money? In Matthew 4, Jesus quotes Moses in Deuteronomy. Moses said, and then Jesus quotes him again, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. Consuming God's word daily is like eating food daily. If you eat the right stuff, you stay healthy and able to serve God. If you eat too much of the word, which some guys do, you just become fat and knowledgeable and arrogant. Solitude will bring the devil you must know God's word to fight him. And the only way you do that is staying in God's word. You must also know who is speaking to you. Is it the God or the devil? And the only way you'll know is if you spend a lot of time in this book. When he changes a sentence, the devil's a smart dude, man. Smart dude. He's pretty good looking too from what the Bible says. He's a clever guy. You think he's going to make the, the change in the sentence so obvious that you're going to know? No, he's going to subtly shift what's in your head, and you're going to think it's God's word. But if you haven't been in God's word, you won't know the difference. You've got to be in God's word to know God's word. And when the devil speaks, then you know that ain't God. That ain't him. Jesus said, the sheep know my voice, and they follow me. The sheep know my voice, and they follow me. How do the sheep know the voice of the, of the shepherd? They spend a lot of time with him, a lot of time. You've got to spend a lot of time in the book to know God's word. It takes years of steady reading to know the language of the kingdom. It takes years, guys. So for you guys that are like, hey, I just want to slap through this, get a big uh, 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 Jesus high, go do some great big ministry, get in the rock star Christianity Today mode, that's the wrong approach, man. This is a long run. It takes a long, long time. I've been reading God's word for a long time. When I left college, I didn't know a single verse in the Bible. And I went to a high school. There was a, a Catholic high school and we studied the Bible every single day. I didn't know a single verse in the Bible by the time I got in, and married to my wife, not a word. 
1988, I got married. Fast forward 33 years, and I know what this book says now. I know what it says. I know what's in here. It's taken me that long. I'm not that bright, but I'm also not that dumb. It takes time, you guys. And if so you're a guy, kind of guy that has to speed read, I highly recommend you get that mentality out. It takes years to be in this word and for it to fall in love with you and for you to fall in love with it. Bible study will change you over a long period of time. And I keep saying it over and over, men. You've got to be in Bible study with other men. It's critical because it's the place where you learn to hear the voice of God and you can challenge yourself and other men can challenge you. It's where your greatest growth will come is when you're studying God's word with other men. Just trust me, I'm an old dude. It works. This is the right thing to do. Paul said, follow those men that are ahead of you. The wise men ahead of you, follow them, listen to them. This is good advice. How will you increase your commitment to Bible study with other men this year? How will you do that? Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect meeting together. Don't do that. It says, do not neglect meeting together. Jesus at a young age started going to the temple and never stopped. He was always at the temple, constantly at the temple. Paul says uh, in Hebrews, do not neglect meeting together. In Acts 4, the disciples of the new church met daily. They were meeting daily. And in Psalm 46, David repeats over and over, sing praises to God, our King, sing praises to God, our King, sing praises to God, our King. So when we get together, we call that church. We meet together as brothers and we bring the word, right? We bring the word and we sing praises to God and we call that church, right? That's what we do. I've stood in Africa under a tree. And I mean, it's the coolest thing ever. You don't even know these people and you're singing hymns and you're preaching and teaching each other God's word and you've never been there before. It's the coolest thing you've ever experienced, guys. I'm telling you, my very first night in Africa, I went to a BSF class in Kampala, Uganda. I was treated like royalty because they found out I was a teaching leader. It was the, I'm telling you, it was the coolest. I cried the whole night because all of these African men I'd never been around in my life were doing the same Bible study I was doing the week before. It was so cool, guys. I'm telling you, this is what it looks like when the body of Christ comes together, man. It's so stinking cool. Church connects us to our community. It's vital to our health. And for most of this, this is the only time we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. We often come to church distracted and unfocused, and we, tr and we try connecting but because we we, so, our expectations are so high. And why? Because we're so underfed during the week. You're so underfed during the week that one meal you come for has to be a daggone prime rib, right? That's a lot of pressure on the, on the pastor. So here's what I recommend. If you do your Bible study during the week, don't cram it all in 30 minutes before you come here. Do it a little each day. You're going to be really well fed. And then on Sunday morning, get up and turn on one other pastor before you go to church and listen to him, whoever you like. And then when you get here, trust me, you will not feel underfed. And you know what? You'll appreciate your pastor a whole lot more because he doesn't have to deliver you the prime rib dinner with the uh, Alaskan king crab and the souffle for dessert. He's just got to deliver a little God's word. That's all you need. You're not underfed. You're already well nourished. That's how you make worship better and your experience at church is better. So how can you improve your experience at church this week? How can you do that? And when we're saved, we declare Jesus is Lord. The man we will follow is Jesus. We call him Lord. Yet many of us have no idea what following him really means. Or we simply choose not to. 
We just don't follow him at all. The disciplines we've been talking about tonight are many of the ways Jesus calls his followers to live. And when we live like this, we change. We're different. This is what he meant when he said, follow me. He said, do these things that I do, live like I do. And when we do that, we discover this is what it's going to be like to live in his kingdom. The kingdom to come where his will will be done. That's what it's like. This lifestyle equips us to live out our purpose. The one we learned about, making the garden, the whole earth, and everybody in it, in his sanctuary. We live with his truth and with his power of the Holy Spirit and our, whole, and our strengths by exercising this and learning and training through these disciplines. Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. The American culture is very, very comfortable, isn't it, you guys? Old Carmel, Indiana is not a bad place to live. I always call it Carmelot. Heavy on personal satisfaction. The kingdom of heaven is quite opposite of this. If we let what seems right run our life, we're not going to be following Jesus at all. Our spiritual self will fade, our physical will take over, and our source of happiness, peace, and abundance will be cut off. So what one spiritual discipline will you adopt this week just to add to your arsenal? Don't do them all, guys. Just pick something and grow in one area this week. And let me offer you one more warning about spiritual disciplines. Jesus scolded the Pharisees for praying and fasting so everyone could see them. They would judge people who didn't do those things. And they used those as a source of pride and a way to control people. When you use the gifts Jesus has given you and the disciplines he's taught you for pride and control, I've watched this. People get hurt and they get hurt badly. There's men in these groups we do called heart groups and quite a number of them I've worked with have come from families where the fathers use this as a weapon. They use it as a weapon. They use discipline as a weapon. They use the book as a weapon, as a way to control their children. And it's bad. It's really bad. And I'm helping these boys unpack the hatred and anger they have for their father. And it's centered around the book and the disciplines of a Christian man. You gotta be careful, guys. You gotta really be careful in what you're doing. Is your heart for control and pride? Are you beating this into your kids because you want control? Are you doing it because you want them to love the father? One of the things I did with my sons early on when we started going to BSF, I remember they came home and said, the chairs are really uncomfortable. I pulled them out of BSF that year. We moved, I moved the class to another church until I could find a place where the children's program had comfortable chairs for the kids. And you think, boy, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? No, it wasn't for me. You know why? Because I wanted my sons, when they thought of Bible study, to have a love for it. I didn't want them to think of a hard, uncomfortable chair where they hated Bible study. I really didn't. They're little boys. They didn't know. I couldn't rationalize and reason with them and tell them why they needed to be there. I just knew if the chairs were uncomfortable, they're going to hate Bible study. And that's the last thing I wanted them to do. I love Bible study, man. I love these nights. I cherish every moment of this with you guys. That's a big deal for me. So many Christians, and especially men, have chased a lot of people out of the church because they've used their spiritual disciplines the wrong way. Please don't do that. These are meant to be done in private, and they're personal. They help you draw close to God. They're not meant to be as a weapon or something to help bolster you up. Have you been using spiritual disciplines for recognition or control in your family? I'll close with this story. Four years ago, I had an ACL surgery. And nine months before that surgery, I decided to get some help because I wanted to recover well. 
I love snow skiing and was fearful I'd never ski again after this ACL surgery. So I decided to hire a trainer to help me. I didn't have discipline to stay in the gym and do the right things and I knew it, so I needed help. So this trainer said when we first started, if you wanna help, you want me to help you, you gotta listen to me first, Bill. She said, I know you're an alpha and you gotta do what you do at work every day and everybody, you tell everybody what to do. And she said, well, when you're here, I'm in control and you listen to me. And I was like, that's why I hired you. And I, I'll give you my commitment, that's what I'll do. Fast forward five years, this is my fifth year with you. I still do that. When we walk in, I say, Jessica, you're in control. I will not, uh, I won't lead. We forced me into some things I didn't want to do, but here's what she made me do. I had to come to work out three times a week. I had to do it for an hour. I had to stretch a lot more. I had to do cardio every week in, in between my workouts. I had to change my diet. I had to drink more water and I had to sleep more. That was the hardest one. I did everything I was told and I stuck with it for the time we had. We had nine months together. After surgery, we had a good routine already established. It was really good. And so when the doctor said, here's your routine, I brought her to the first PT and he handed us the stuff and he showed us what to do. We never looked back. We knocked that stuff out of the park. We worked our tail off and we did all the training. And in five months after surgery, I was on the hill in Vail skiing again. I went back to see my doctor, he was the Colts doctor, and he said, there's a lot of my guys on the Colts that didn't work as hard as you did and didn't put the discipline and the time in and didn't recover the way you did. And at that moment, I said, man, I didn't think I could do it either, doc. I didn't know I had it in me. I just realized I did. What I realized in that was I wanted it so bad. My desire was there. And so because I had that desire, I put in the hard work. And so I would ask you, do you have that desire to want Jesus that bad? Because if you do, these things we talked about tonight will be something that become important to you too. It's what's in your heart. I wanted that so bad. I wanted these things in the Bible so bad for these reasons, you guys. When I was 29 years old, I remember sitting in a car. My son was born. I was having anger issues with my wife. And I didn't think I had the capacity in me to really be a good father. I was scared to death. I didn't know what a father looked like. I didn't have one. And I had a lot of issues. And all I wanted, only thing I wanted, I wanted to be a good dad. And I wanted to be a good husband. That was all I wanted. And I thought, Lord, help me do that. I had that same desire. I had to get that ACL surgery. It was that intense in me. And so... I've been writing studies every week. I've been teaching lessons every week. I've been attending Bible study every week. I've been attending church every week. I get up early every day to read and pray. I give generously to whatever I feel God leads me to. And one of my greatest rewards has been a wonderful life with my sons and my wife. And I don't say things that I'm thinking every time it comes into my head. These disciplines have changed my life, and I pray some of these will change yours if you just try to let these disciplines become part of your life. So what will motivate you this year to practice one new discipline to hear Jesus speak to you? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we praise you and thank you. Lord Jesus, you gave us a path. You showed us how. You showed us how to not let our physical bodies dominate our life and let the Holy Spirit lead us. So Lord, help us learn, help us follow you. Lord, help us call you the trainer and shut our mouth and do what you tell us to do and be obedient men of God, not 
because we want to control or be prideful, but because we want to be close to you. We want to love you and we want to love our families. We want to be good men. Help us, Lord. Help us. We need help. So, Holy Spirit, change this. Give us a desire to be disciplined men, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Great being with you again, all right? Take care.